All right, and welcome everybody to an episode of EM Over Easy, recorded in front of a live studio audience. There we go. We are here live at CE Madness 2019, here with my co-host Drew Calno. Good morning. We are here doing a special clinical grind with four EMS providers, a couple docs and a couple firefighter paramedics. Wanted to thank everybody coming on. Rob Lowe. Hello. We've also got Zach Maxwell, a firefighter paramedic. Dr. Eric Cortez. Thanks, Andy. And then Rob Cloud. Good morning. So we wanted to bring everybody on to do a clinical grind today. Now, a clinical grind, for those that haven't heard these before, is where we bring up a specific clinical scenario and talk about how we as clinicians can approach that from a better aspect and then come up with a great teaching point along the way. So this is a case where we're working in the emergency department. EMS encode the typical encode that's very generic. But as soon as they show up, you notice that there's a problem. Now, what they can't tell you on encode is what was the case with this patient, is this was a frequent flyer, as we would maybe sometimes call it, a high utilizer, somebody who is well-known to EMS, somebody who's well-known to your nursing staff and to you, and you notice that when they show up, that there is a generally kind of disdain between EMS and nursing, and you even find it creeping up in yourself towards the patient because of their return visits that you've had with them or other people have had with them from the second that they hit the door. And I think it's important for this particular patient to realize this happens to all of us. But what do we do when we recognize that that's the way our team is acting towards this patient at this moment? I think it's tough because I think the the first step is recognizing it, right? Like any other issue, just just realizing that you're kind of getting sucked down a rabbit hole. And that can feed a little bit. It can feed as uh, as we take these sort of unconscious clues from each other. So I think probably the hardest piece is just recognizing your own sort of bents or your own sort of where you're at that day and what's uh, where you're at in that moment. And how do you, how do you come up with your ways of stepping back from that or stepping out of that? I agree with Rob. There's a personal aspect to this and then a leadership aspect to this as well. From a personal perspective, you're always going to have effective input that can cause some cognitive bias and, and cause you to make mistakes from a medical perspective. So you need to control that internally. And I think as a leader, as the, as the physician in the room, I think it's important to lead by example. And you don't necessarily need to say anything in particular. You need to demonstrate uh, the, the appropriate way to move forward. As Dr. Cortez was talking, for us pre-hospital, it only takes one of us typically on the scene to just step up, maybe calm some other attitudes because we have our choice. One of the most important things I've seen one of a local department had had on their trucks under every doorknob, it said, I am responsible. And I thought that that was a powerful message as we go out the door. So that mental note for us when we're approaching these scenes, it it is very hard. Taking the same patient three times in a 24-hour period, visited five hospitals in 24-hour period, and the patient is belligerent themselves. It's somebody that's not wanting to help for themselves. So having that moral injury for us pre-hospital is extremely hard because we want these people to get help, yet they don't want to help themselves. So therefore, we get discouraged and give up. Like Captain Cloud said, one of the biggest things is frustration. You hear that address and you're like, well, I know where we're going, who we're going to go see. And that mentality just kind of sets in. Um, especially for some members, they might, depending on what time of the day it is, two o'clock in the morning, they, they're getting up out of bed, might be for the third time that night. And it can be very frustrating. You know exactly what you're going on because you've seen it in the same person numerous times. But 
it can really bite you in the butt when you get in that complacency mentality of, well, let's just put them in the medic, take them to the hospital when they're underlying something could actually be going wrong. And it takes that one time where you tried to take the easy way out and you miss it and then you get bit on the backside. I think whether we like to remit it or not, complacency is actually a pretty easy thing to get caught with. It's easy for us to blow off a patient to say, oh, what are they really here for? And also to get honestly mad that somebody, say, at 2 o'clock in the morning is utilizing EMS resources to come in for an ankle sprain. Now, not knowing anything on the backside of why they might be doing that, whether it's they work late, it's the only time they can come in, they don't have gas in their car, and then to take that frustration out on the patient and to judge them from day one. And that's why I always talk and use the terminology moral injury because uh, the way we've been brought up in our moral backgrounds and, and what's affected us is our upbringing. If we're ill, we go to a doctor. If we, you know, we know how to use our resources. And the fire department today, just not in the EMS world, being used for so many other different things. Maybe it's just 2 o'clock in the morning getting called out to pick a phone, cell phone up off the floor because they're hospital bedridden or changing a channel for a TV or taking out their garbage uh, is a that's 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 reality now. And so then when they have that medical emergency, we we may not adjust our attitudes when we get out of that truck and say, hey, every time should be the, the very first time. And I think if we approach that, then maybe we won't miss that assessment uh, skill process to find what else what's really wrong. And for fire and EMS, it's particularly difficult. You guys are dealing with this on both sides of the spectrum. There's the EMS patients that are frequent offenders. And then the same thing can happen with fire alarms, right? You'll run on the same alarm three times over the course of the evening. And if you don't address that situation as though it's real every single time, that's when somebody gets hurt. That's when somebody dies. That's when bad things happen, whether it's a patient you're taking care of or it's a rescue fire operation that goes on. And I remember being in those same shoes when I was doing fire and EMS. You would know the address by heart, but it's that one time that you don't approach it the same exact way that you get burned. It's the boy that called wolf, and we all can relate to that story growing up. So what do you guys do to make sure that when you have that situation come in, when, when you know it's going to happen, you know who the person is, you know the fire alarm address, how do you reset yourself to make sure that you're approaching that encounter, whatever it is, with the same zeal that you would any other, anyone else? I think there's multiple different uh, ways you can tackle that. But one of the biggest is realizing that ultimately it's your responsibility. So if something goes wrong everybody's going to turn to you and say, what What did you do or what did you not do? It's hard to keep that compassion when Captain Ellinger, 5100 West Broad Street on a fire alarm, up, oh, cancel everybody. Well, that one time, we're going to look across the street and the whole building's going to be on fire and we're going to be like, uh... For, for anyone that doesn't know 5100 West Broad, that is the <laughs> building sure. we're in right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it just gets frustrating because it's the same thing over and over and over again. And you want to take the easy way out, but you just have to find a way to reset yourself and say, okay, are we really showing, are we really giving uh, the proper um, services to the residents or the clients that we should be? Think about it. If you were in their shoes, how would you feel if, we just came to you, what's going on today? Why are you calling me for the 17th time? So you just kind of have to step back and uh, look at it from their perspective. And from my end, I, I think Dr. Cortez probably, for me, nailed it on the head. It's it's all about the leadership. 
I mean, I, and I think even people in the room can think of chaotic moments that you were either in the ER room or, or on a run and just one person, that one person that everybody relies on to always have that level head showed up, controlled the situation. Um, and, and as an officer, that's my job and, and use some of the Tom Kite stuff of, uh, we're all sharing that same event and however we react uh, could have a, a direct to our outcome. So. A lot of times I can go back and talk to the one person on the scene that maybe was be acting inappropriate and say, listen, there was five of us on the scene. We were all sharing the same event. Why did you have the negative? Why did you change your attitude? And he's going to be held, he or she is held responsible for that. But I, I really think it's a leadership. Somebody has to step up and uh, be the level head and the professional on the scene. Yeah, and I would say there's almost kind of an introspective Perspective responsibility as well, right? So one of the things we'll often teach is uh, for that repeat call, that repeat visit, it's a chance for you to say, okay, what did I miss? What did I not address the first time that didn't solve this problem? And whether that's a pure medical diagnosis, a pure testing thing, if it's a if it's a component of a social thing, if it's just a component of wrapping your, your hands around it, I think it starts with that ownership of, hey, we probably have a dual responsibility here. Um, that can be tough with some of our patients, but I, I think if we approach it in that mindset, um, we start to set that and, and it becomes inherent on a number of us to model that for our younger um, colleagues and for our trainees. Something that I've learned is to not try and fix administrative problems when your goal is to take care of patients, whether it's frequent lift assist or frequent fire alarms or frequent calls to a nursing home. Those are problems that probably need to be addressed retrospectively, uh, administratively to figure out why you have all those frequent calls. But when you're on shift and we, we have, you know, a frequent flyer comes in that's here every other day for COPD, goes home and smokes, that can be frustrating. And there probably needs to be a care plan for those types of patients. But it's not your job to do that when you're on shift. It's your job to take care of the patient. And I found that beneficial in my own practice is, is delineating. I'm the physician. I'm, I'm, I'm the provider. I'm the clinician today taking care of the individual patient rather than the emergency department as a whole from an administrative perspective. And I've gotten in trouble a little bit and I've learned a lot from going down that route and kind of clouding those responsibilities. So I try and keep my clinical, my patient responsibilities separate from any administrative responsibilities as well. I think one thing that would be very beneficial and something that we could do better at is just showing empathy towards each other as professions. Like when the EMS comes in uh, to the nurse, is showing some empathy maybe from the nurse side or the EMS side because we're all sharing that same patient, yet we forget what we've all been through for that day. And now all of a sudden we're unloading our emotional dump truck on somebody that has been through the same process that day. And so I, I think it's extremely important for us to do things like we are today, communicating with the ER docs and doing these, these communication exercises so that we need to show each other much more empathy when we're transferring care of a patient. Maybe that's just that one word of, hey, I, you know, I hope your night gets a little bit better for you. Stay safe. We'll, we'll take care of this patient. Uh, just something that will help us or help the nurse or, or even the doc. It's easy to forget sometimes that all of these situations come with momentum. Right. So when EMS comes in and, and you feel a little burdened by the situation, then that burden then gets passed on to the, the ED providers. And at some point you have to break it. And it's real for us as emergency medicine providers too, in a, in a realm of early closure, right? Or, uh, diagnosis bias. So EMS walks in and say, Hey, this patient, it's cold outside. 
they're homeless, they got nowhere to go, that's why they called, right? And it's easy to just take that patient and go, okay, let me get you a a sandwich, a warm blanket, and I'm done, as opposed to doing that actual evaluation of the patient. Was there something different tonight that it wasn't just because it's cold outside, there's something more going on? And, And that situation can be extrapolated into so many different other situations, just as it's no different than when I have early closure or diagnosis bias on patients when I'm signing them out to the hospital team, that my diagnosis is typically what the hospital team's going to run with, right? And if I'm wrong, if I didn't make sure I had an open opinion and open mind about the patient, then I might be missing something, which then means the next provider's missing something. And at some point, you have to break the system. And so it all starts with you guys in EMS to make sure that you're providing that good, open-minded, well-rounded assessment of the patient. And then us continuing that upon handoff. And sometimes it has to be a give and take, right? We have to give that back to you. Like, hey, yeah, I appreciate that. Did you think about X, Y, and Z just to kind of break the cycle, right? And that's not a critique necessarily so much as it is a conversation. Because you guys come with so much good information that if we didn't have that, we'd never get to that next step. And sometimes just that actual conversation is so important, which is why, again, I agree, communication like we're doing today is is key. Just like you guys said, is there something underlying that we're missing or that we're not really paying attention to? And multiple crews run on the same drunk that you pick up on West Broad Street every single day. But why is that person ending up in that same predicament again? And I find it personally very rewarding when you kind of figure out what the underlying problem is. Okay, is is he homeless? Is there financial problems? Whatever it may be, taking that extra step to see if you can get that person the help that they really need, uh, getting them, getting them into a rehab facility for their alcoholism or whatever it may be. I think that really helps with uh, compassion. Yeah. And sometimes those successes help break the cycle mm-hmm. as well. Right. So now there's momentum for the next case of, Hey, I've, I've learned a new way to deal with this, or I've learned uh, to expand my, my toolbox a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's really important, Rob, what you said that most of the time when we, when we get into trouble, it's not a skill issue. It's not a knowledge issue. It's a cognitive thought process issue. And we're all human and we're going to have those issues. We're going to have the cognitive biases that are going to affect how we make critical decisions. And it's, it's nothing that's, we're ever going to be able to do something and they're, and it's all going to go away. I think the important thing is to recognize that they're always going to be present. You're always going to be kind of quote unquote playing yourself whenever you come to the ED. And I had a coach in high school where, you know, we'd have a big game and and he, he would say, who are you playing against? And, you know, we would say the other team and he was like, no, you're playing against yourself, right? You got to go in, you got to execute, you got to keep your mind right. And I think that's the same way when you come to work uh, in the emergency department as well. There's a good paper from the mid-2000s, uh, Cross Carry et al., and it, it talks about cognitive biases in the, in the different types and then how to minimize them as well. So it, it's important to recognize these these things that get into your mind and affect how you think, but it's even more important to recognize how you identify them and prevent them uh, when you come on shift too. Something I've talked about time and time again on this podcast and with the resonance is the concept of clearing the mechanism. And it's a uh, stupid line, although really meaningful, from for, from The Love of the Game, the movie. Kevin Costner, the pitcher, getting ready to pitch, and you hear the crowd, all the noise, all the distractions, and he just clears the mechanism and it goes quiet. I do that before critical procedures, before critical patient resuscitations, but I also find myself doing it in situations like this where I find myself drifting into that early closure and to be really biased towards a patient. And I stop myself, clear the mechanism and go, but what is it today? Right. And that way you address the patient. It's the same thing, Eric, like you were saying, you're playing yourself. 
right? You're not playing the other team. Don't let the team get into your mind. You, you have control of the situation. So whatever it is for each of us individually to, to break that cycle and to be able to, quote unquote, clear the mechanism is how we can be really successful each time we see these patients and not miss something or situation, right? Because it's not just about patient care. It's about that next fire alarm, that next rescue operation to make sure that you're as sharp as you are every single time. That, that's interesting because we all do kind of different, but in my world, it's always um, don't take it personal. This is the job, right? Don't take it. This isn't a personal attack. This is the job. Let's do the Dr. Look, kind of follow the same thing for for me. It's and uh, most people, <laughs> uh, we do twenty four hour shifts. I, I'm going to be here for twenty four hours. Do whatever you want to me. Uh, I know what I signed up for. I know what I have to do because more importantly for me, as experience and and uh, years go by, I've learned very much that my family is going to be the number one at the end of the day. So I'm going to go home with the right attitude. Uh, not want to pour it onto them. So carrying that every day, and I did that early on, is very hard. Had a very rough time when a personal note, you know, marriage, everything. And uh, so you'll learn, you be consistent with your attitude. Know that, hey, I'm here for 24 hours. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to cry. We're going to have some tough times. We're going to have good times. But guess what? I'm going to leave for two days, and I'll be back in three days, and I'm going to do it all over again. And that's really helped me. It may be very simple. I'm not the <laughs> very dumb guy, so that really just helps me. I'm pretty simple on what, what I can do. So I just want to be here and, and go home and take care of my family. Having that right mental attitude, though, affects everybody around you. And, and you as a leader is so important to have, but it doesn't matter if it's you or it's the newest guy on the team, as long as whoever has that attitude and has that forward thinking and that perspective can affect the entire culture of the operation, whether it's in the firehouse, whether it's in the emergency department, whether it's the, the entire medical system together. All it takes is that one person to change everyone else's attitude for that day or that interaction. So it's an incredibly important thing to have. It is. And the flip side, as the as the leaders, um, if we do have that slip, we kind of have to own that, right? Absolutely. We have to own that to reset everybody else as well. And it, it will happen at some point, you, and you just have to own it, and you have to move forward and, and fix it. Do you ever find in some of your realms, this is a question for me, because I, I know for us, it, it, uh, sometimes it can just be one informal leader, though, that everybody follows. And if that attitude goes that way, yeah. the crowd's going to typically go that way unless you – that's the hard stuff as a leader, and that's why I agree with Dr. Cortez so much. Is as a leader, you're going to have to face that informal leader and say, "Listen, enough's enough. We, we've got to go the other direction. The team's following you, and we're having negative impacts." And and that's those are those are the hard things as a leader to do uh, in these situations because we could go along with it, laugh with everybody, and enjoy the attitude and and uh, complain just as much with the team, and and uh, that's where we really miss the big picture. Rob, I couldn't agree with you more. Unfortunately, we have to go due to time, but I think this is a great place to end this episode. I want to thank our guests for coming on and talking about the frequent user of the emergency department and how we all can maybe have a little more empathy and a little more understanding of how we can be better providers in these scenarios and try to catch ourselves before it gets too bad. I want to thank everybody again for being on the panel. And for those that are listening, don't forget to check us out on our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, on our blog, emovereasy.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us comments so we can better serve you in the podcasting community. Thanks so much, guys. And until next time.